Are you still willing to listen? <laughs> After all that. Um, oh, you guys. Um, actually, you know, this is kind of a neat segue, the way the Lord orchestrated that. Uh, this closing session will probably, I hope, won't be as long, but I hope it'll be as meaningful. Before that, I want to just show you, it'd be easy to have ended that last session just with redemption. So we have creation, fall, redemption, uh, God's original plan for marriage, uh, the corrupted plan that sin did, and, and the breakdown in relationship with God and, and then with each other. And then, hallelujah, redemption. But remember I said the Bible begins with marriage, and the Bible ends with a marriage. So we can, put that, can we put that last slide up on restoration? Um, on this one, do you notice it's no longer, it's not Adam and Eve, it's not husband and wife. This time, it's God's global glory through the marriage of the Lamb. Um, this is where he makes all things new. No more tears. No more sin. No more Satan. I'm so sick of sinning, you guys. I just, I, I look forward to seeing Jesus face to face and not sinning before him. I'm so looking forward to that. Now it's Christ and his bride. There's an eternal union, eternal communion in a new garden. It's a new garden there. Isn't that great? It's a new garden in the new heavens and earth. So a couple of quotes are on your, your paper there. Our marriages have eternal importance, not because they last forever, but because they prepare us for eternity with Christ. The other one is we view our marriages today with a vision of marriage on that day. So remember the vision? My people perish for lack of vision. So we're going to look back at God's original design. We're going to look back at redemption. And we're going to look forward at the new day, that day, when all will be made new and we'll, and we'll see Jesus together face to face. The best way I know how to communicate that, you might have heard this story he was of a stone carver, and he was, there, there was a big, tall building they were working on, and, and the guy was talking to the man who was shaping the stone, right? A lot of dust happening because, it, you know, to shape a stone, it, it sometimes is hard work, and there's a lot of cutting, and, and you just sometimes wonder, why all this cutting? So the man was watching, and he said, so what are you, what are you doing? It looks like the project is just about done. Where is this stone going to go? And he said, well, you see that, that tower up there, really the highest point almost on the, on the building. He said, if you look closely, there's a missing piece up there. He says, I'm working on this stone down here so that it'll fit in up there. I think that's a good way to describe God's plan for marriage. It's, it's way bigger. It's, it's, you know, when we said... Um, you know, let's, marriage should be held in honor among all. It's, it's so much bigger, you guys. It's so much bigger than just personal happiness. It's so much bigger than just next generation. This is about eternity. It's about eternity. That's why God's doing this. This is a magnificent thing the Lord, the Lord is doing. So would you, would you do this? Just it'll take a second. Would you put, don't put the one with Adam alone. Would you put your four pages together, creation, um, fall, redemption, 
And I, it might be a little tight squeeze at your, at your table, but would you put them, spread them out and, and kind of almost like you were attaching them, if you were going to tape them together. Because here in front of you is the magnitude of marriage. This is why we hold it in honor. Because from the very beginning, God intended marriage to have a global impact for his glory. And God, it meant so much to God to redeem sinners and to redeem marriage that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his son to redeem us from our sin and to redeem broken marriages and broken men who didn't have a right relationship with God and that was so reflected in the way I treated Jan. If, if this is wrong, this is, it's gonna be hard for this to be right. And so that's where the Lord so helped me. But I, I hope you'll see that. I, that, I was, that was what I was hoping would happen with this. Um, and that, that maybe this is something you could pass on to your kids. This may be something that you could pass on to small groups or people who are struggling and they've lost vision of marriage. They don't have any more hope anymore. Because in this grand design, so who knows? I don't know all the time frames of this, but it's at least 6,000 years of redemptive history from creation to the fall. I mean, there's a lot of debate about the mark of the year, so let's don't worry about that. But isn't this magnificent? And your marriage is in that timeline. Your marriage is in that story. That's how important your marriage is because it's a part of this. Oh, and that's why we hold it in honor. Amen? Amen. Well, here's the last, last part. So I, I hope that could have encouraged you. This last part is just a little mini study uh, on, on what it means to be in a covenant, the covenant of marriage. And the reason I'm putting this in tonight, and this is kind of good for a date night type of environment, because I hope that this will become very personal to you and, and very intimate for you as husband and wife. Um, I've done so many things wrong, not just as a, a, a boyfriend, not just as a husband. I've done so many things wrong as a pastor. And it's just really easy as a pastor to kind of focus the church. Your whole focus is on what you need to be doing, and you need to be doing this. And it's just so much on what you do, so much on what you do. And, and thank God for churches like Cross of Grace, because what you mostly hear is how much he's done for us. Well, the same applies to marriage. The same principle applies to marriage. I think one of the reasons, I, I, mean, I mean, so this was obvious to every lady in the room. What an, not just a fearful man I was, what an insecure man I was. I think a lot of couples go into marriage with some insecurity. It may not be as graphic as mine or as visible as mine, but I think there's some fear and if there's some insecurity because what if this doesn't last? What if she leaves me? What if he leaves me? So I'm going to try harder. I'm going to try harder. And, but your best efforts, you're just not very confident in them and they fall short. Well, I think where we start is not because tomorrow I'm going to call you to commitment. I would be remiss not to. The scripture calls you to commitment. So we're going to look at the commitment of a husband and we're going to look at the commitment of a wife tomorrow. But you know what I'd like to remind you of tonight is not your commitment to each other, 
I want to talk to you about his commitment to you. Because if you're being constantly renewed on how faithful he is, how unending his love is, how satisfying his love is, oh my goodness, you're going to thrive then making that commitment day by day to your spouse. Does that make sense? So let's just look at this really quickly. So if you open your Bibles to Romans 8, um, the first point is really the main point, the longest point, and then we'll... Uh, the, the lesson is called God's Sovereignty and Salvation. Isn't that funny? So, wait, I thought this was a marriage seminar. <laughs> it is. It is. And we're going to talk about the one who makes marriage worthwhile. But it's with our eyes on him first. So God's sovereignty and salvation gives us security in our sacrifices. God's sovereignty and salvation gives us security in our sacrifices. So if you, if you get Romans 8, 28 open... Let's, 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 let's let this unfold because what you're going to hear in what Paul is telling us is covenant language. It's essentially what God has done in covenanting himself to us and the security we have in that and then the amazing sacrifices that can be made because of it. So Romans, you're the first, uh, Romans 8.28, probably most of you know, don't even have to look it up. Romans 8.28, but let's read 28 through 30. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, including marriage, right? So we're going to put marriage in that too. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, I want you to be listening for covenant commitment here. Jesus' covenant commitment to you. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So you, you guys have made significant, covenantal, sacrificial, lifelong commitments to one another. But now let's hear about the commitment of commitments that our Savior has made to you and to me. Because it's this commitment that will take an insecure person and make him or her secure. Security is huge, guys. Even more so in this increasingly insecure world we're, li we're living in. So Christ's covenant commitment to you is your rock-solid anchor of security. And Romans 8.28 is our guide to highlight that. That's why this is... People should ask us this question. When we spout out, well, God causes all things to work together for the good, for those who love him and those who... Well, even unbelievers say things like that. So I think, I think we should be challenged, Christian, with saying, how? How can you know that? How do you know he's going to cause all things to work together for the good? And you'll say, well, I'm glad, I'm glad you asked me that. Let's look at verses 29 and 30. This is how we know. So I want you to, whatever your biggest crisis is right now, everybody has something. 
It might be a nagging crisis. It's kind of a low grade constantly on your mind. It may be something you're, you're waking up at 3 in the morning and not sleeping about. And you quote this thing to yourself and you're going, oh, gosh, I hope, I hope he's working all things to the good. How do I know? Well, here's how we know. First, it says we were foreknown. It means that in love, God chose us before the foundations of the world, even though the ugliness of our sin made us unchoosable. So I can, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me be sweet here. I'm come, I'm, it's okay. I'm going to come. I love potato chip breath. Mm. Isn't it easy to see why I chose her? Isn't it easy? Thank you, babe. Do you know that's not how it works with the Lord? None of us were choosable. So our world works on, I mean, you know, she's a fox, right? Come on. Do you, do you even say that anymore? I don't even know if you say that anymore. Um, but she's a fox to me, but even it was way better. I mean, her heart for the Lord. Uh, there was a lot to choose about you, sweetheart, and still is. I still choose you, babe. Not to choose about you. You're welcome. <laughs> thank you, she said. I don't know if you heard it in the back of the room. That was appropriate. That was a good thank you. That was good. I want you to think about, guys, I want you to think about, you know, here God is in the ever-present. I mean, he's eternal, but he's always in the ever-present. Eternal past, eternal future, what a mystery. It's all in the present to him. So when, when he is thinking about me, these concepts are even kind of boggling to even think about. He's not thinking about me because I'm choosable. What he knows about me is I will, I will be depraved in sin. That's what he knows about me. He knows the worst about me. So talk about, like, about a marriage proposal. Let's call it... A, let's call it kind of a heavenly marriage proposal. It's a salvation proposal. God makes a proposal to me, a lifetime commitment, an offer of commitment, knowing the worst about me. I'm choosing you, and you are, you are nowhere near choosable unless I'm a God of grace, unless I'm a God of mercy, unless I'm a God who knows the worst about you and in my love for you, I've already planned before the foundations of the world that my son is going to pay the price for all the evil I see in you, even before you've committed it. If you haven't read the book of Hosea for a while, go back and look at the, at the commitment that groom made to a bride who not just left him, but into harlotry, into prostitution. I have, you see, when I read my Bible, I have more in common with that prostitute woman than I have in common with Jesus. Now, now that I'm saved, I'm being conformed to his image. But before I was saved, I was running after my idols. I was running, God, and God knew the worst of me. And yet he chose me anyway to save me. And he does that with every believer. And he stays committed to us knowing we would still sin after salvation. He stayed committed to us on his worst day. How do you know? Sometimes if the devil's coming in and saying, <laughs> sometimes I, I think the devil is telling me 
man, Billy, I wouldn't have even done that sin. You know, you are really bad. You know, I wouldn't have done that. I'm the devil. <sighs> I mean, do you sometimes wonder? Do you sometimes wonder, Lord, I, was that, you know, was there a 15 sin limit to this? Was there a 55 sin limit to this? I just don't know how you could con continue to commit to me. When Christ is hanging on the cross and the wrath of God is falling on him, it's not just the, the blood that's flowing out of his body. It's not just the suffocation that he's experiencing. The, the wrath of God. Jesus is drinking the cup, and he's going to drink it dry. There's not going to be a drop of that cup for you to drink. He's, he's going to drink it dry. And that's how I know he'll never leave me. Because if he stayed committed to my salvation on the cross, on his worst day, that was his worst day. The wrath of God is on Jesus. He stayed on the cross. He they, were they were taunting him, weren't they? If you're the son of God, come off the cross. He proved he's the son of God, you guys, by staying on the cross. So if he's committed to me on his worst day, oh my you know he's going to stay committed to you in your worst day. Is that good news, you guys? That's what we learn about this being foreknown and how Jesus comes in to pay the price for all the evil that God, that God saw in us. So think about our covenant commitment with each other. That's what we should, we need to be telling the next generation of young people in thinking about getting married you're, you're making a commitment to someone not because of the, all the good you see in them. You're, are you, is this love? Do you define love this way? Are you making a commitment to the worst about them, not just the best about them? Because if you can't commit to the worst about them like Jesus did for you, I'm not sure it's time to get married. Sometimes I can be a, sometimes people don't like, like me. Don't you think we should say that? You don't know love then. Love is committing to the worst in someone. Now, are we, do we stay there? No. It's, it's, it's not, this isn't a masochistic idea of Christianity. But there is a commitment to someone even though it's their worst. They're at their worst day but you were committed and still will be committed because that's the way God has treated you. That's, that's the gospel according to marriage. It's committing to the worst parts about each other. If you've been to this conference before, you heard me say this, and, and you've seen it, I've described it to you. Since, since Jan has married me, so 37 years ago, She's been married to at least eight other men since our wedding day. I just, I like to look at your faces when I say that. Over here, she's saying, he's worse than I thought. Um, they were all me. I, I can be a very angry man. She committed to be married to an angry man. You guys, I struggle with depression. It's a constant battle. I need constant help. I need, I need her so much. I need our elder team. 
the guys here, you guys have helped me in my bouts of depression. She's, she married an angry man. She married a depressed man. I can be fearful. I can be afraid of my own shadow sometimes. And she married a fearful man. She married a lazy man because she's, in, she's such an image of Jesus to me. And you know what? I've grown. And that's what happens when you're loved. You grow. But so many people never get there because people are only as committed as they are comfortable nowadays. That's not like Jesus, you guys. Jesus is committed to the worst about you, but why? How about this? Here we go. We've been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. So he's committed himself to the worst about us to do what? Bring out the best about us. But now I'm not talking about humanistically. To bring out more and more of the likeness of Jesus in our lives. And that's what marriage is, is. God wants to use marriage to do. It's that we help each other with our growth in the Lord. We help each other become stronger believers. We get so bogged down about the day-to-day -day issues of life and we lose sight of the fact that, that in these tough times, God is helping us and using our marriage to be more like Christ, not just predestined. We were, we've been called. It's not that we first loved God, but that he first loved us. He made the first move. We would have never have gone to him savingly. He made the first move. He called. We heard him calling our name. Even us here in good old West Texas. Guys, you guys, God doesn't say y'all. I don't think God says y'all. <laughs> I just don't think he says y'all. Well, maybe he said y'all. Whoever, whoever will, y'all come. I don't know. I, maybe. But it's... He called your name. He, when I hear her say my name, oh, oh, no, this is another joke. <laughs> you guys. So I call her sweetheart. I call her honey, honey bunny. Um, she calls me boog. It's short for booger. <laughs> when we were dating, um, Newly dating, I, she saw me picking. <laughs> and she tells me, if you keep that up, <laughs> I'm going to call you booger. We've been married 37 years. <laughs> so I guess I still do it. I don't know, but, but I interpret it as sweetheart, right? I interpret, I hear sweetheart. You might not hear sweetheart, but I hear sweetheart. Isn't there something about someone who loves you calling you by name? It just is a melody. And that's what the Lord does. But it's this first move. It's, it's always being willing to move first. So God, this, he's, he makes us this way. He has no sin. But aren't we to be the ones that make the first move to ask forgiveness? Aren't we to be making the first move to repent of sin, making the first move to, to deny ourselves again? We are like him, and he called us. He made the first move. He's teaching us to make the first move. Those whom he called have been justified. It's a new identity. 
He's given us a new life in Christ of being declared legally righteous and not just in a heavenly courtroom, but adopted as sons and daughters, fully forgiven, counted righteous, accepted, adopted, secure in his love. And that new identity is not Jesus plus something else will make me happy. That new identity is Jesus alone is the key to my happiness, my joy, my, my hope. It's Jesus alone. And that's really good for a marriage, isn't it? Because you know what? I mean, really, think about it. I, I don't know how you guys are doing. On any given day, one of us is given more love to the other than the other one. I don't know that we're ever 50-50. You guys, don't get me started. I hate that. Well, marriage is 50-50. It is not. Oh, oh. Marriage is, I don't know what. <laughs> marriage is Jesus is my all in all. All to him I owe. And so my, so my life is Christ. Living my life means loving others. That's, that's Christianity, isn't it? And that's what Christian marriage is. We're, we're not, it's not me plus a, plus a good spouse. It's not Jesus plus a good spouse. That's the key. To, that's the key to making my life happy. Um, I'm, I'm going to use a phrase. I'm going to ask you to say it after me. Even a great spouse makes a poor savior. Now, will you say that with me? Even a great spouse makes a poor savior. John Newton put it this way, the greatest danger to a great marriage is making an idol out of a great marriage. It's looking to your marriage or looking to your spouse to give you what only Christ can give you. And then the last one is that we're glorified. So remember that whole picture of, of the new heavens and new earth. God speaks of it here in the past tense. It's really wild. He sees our salvation as though we're already in heaven. That's how, that's how hopeful he wants us to be, right? That's how he's never going to let us go. Because he's talking about heaven as though you were already there. That's how strong the promise is. And that's what we need to be aiming at. Essentially what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to walk you all the way home. Sweetheart, would you come up and help me with this, this last little thing? So when I do a wedding, we, people go, this, your pastor is the weirdest guy in the world. Because we, we dramatize some of the stuff in weddings, not in crazy ways. but So let's say, Jen, you and I just, just got married. And, uh, and, the, and the, the preacher said, you may now kiss your bride. Are you ready? Come on, baby, are you ready? Okay. And now he says... Now he says, she's telling me, I just put lotion on my hand. <laughs> um, and now he says, now I now pronounce you husband and wife, right? And so what I, what, what, one of the things I tell the couples is, I want you to walk down this aisle, celebrate. Let's celebrate. Let's hold marriage in honor. But, but you have a responsibility. You're not just walking each other to the reception. You're walking each other all the way home. You're walking each other all the way home. I, I want to one day, I know this is kind of figurative, but at least this is, I think, a biblical ideal, that if I do my job as a husband right, it wouldn't it be cool to be able to say, Jesus, here she is. 
you put her in my hand, and now I'm putting her back into yours. And I've done everything I knew to do to help prepare her for this moment. Lord, would you give her every grace gift that, that she could have because of the kind of woman she is? And then to back away and just to see her just be face-to-face -face with the Lord. And then wouldn't it be the coolest thing to hear the Lord whisper to you, well done, good and faithful husband. Well done, good and faithful wife. When you think of your marriage, are you thinking of that day? Are you thinking what you want to do to walk her, to walk him all the way? See, that's Jesus' commitment to you, isn't it? And do you see why you can be so secure in that? So for the sake of time, I'm not going to read. Would you, wait, would you read the rest of chapter 8 when you, when you go home? Because guess what the rest of chapter 8 is? <laughs> Neither height nor depth, nor principalities nor powers. Nothing in heaven or earth. What? Say it with me. Can separate me from the love of God. In Christ. And now you think that it would, the story would end right there. Oh, I'm, this is, I'm so secure. His commitment to me has made me so secure. So my question, a little, little question, a little quiz here. So is the goal of security, security? Because that's what we do. We're such goobers. We, we take things of the Bible. We let them stop with us. They're never intended to just stop. With us, God didn't just make security. Oh, that. Oh, I just want you to be secure. An unbeliever can go for that. The reason God makes us secure is so that we, like our Savior, would be people of sacrifice. So, if you read into chapter nine, so read the rest of chapter eight. Okay, would you do that? It'll, I think it'll bless you. Read into chapter nine, and Paul says it's so bad that there's a chapter break there. Paul, he's, he's so secure, this is what he says next. I'm grieving because so many of my Jewish brethren do not know the Messiah. My heart is breaking. And he tells the Lord, God, if it could make a difference, I, would you curse me? If they could be saved, if you cursing me would make a difference and it could lead to their salvation, would you curse me? Where does a man get the heart to make a commitment like that? To be, to, of course, that's not going to happen because someone already was cursed, right? Jesus was already cursed. But he's become a lot like Jesus, hasn't he? He's saying, I'll lay my life down too if it could lead to someone else. Well, that's what happened. Christ's commitment and covenant to him, the security that he has in Christ. What do we do with the security? We lay our lives down in loving sacrifice. And it starts with husband and wife. Amen. So here's how I'd like to end. You know, if I could, I would lower the light. I'm such a, no, I'm a goober here. But, you know, I'd, let me put on some soft music. No, I don't mean it. But, it, but you know what? Now and then, I feel led to tell Jan, you know, I want to I renew our marriage covenant. I need to renew our marriage covenant because I've lost sight of some things. I've lost, I've lost sight of loving Jesus the most so I could love you the best. I, I've been really lazy. 
I've been really thinking a lot of myself lately. I just want to renew my covenant to you because I want to walk you all the way home. I want to walk you all the way home. I think it was Diedrich Bonhoeffer who he was pronouncing a, a man and woman, husband and wife. And right before he said it, he said, from this point forward, it won't be love that sustains your covenant. Meaning, it's not going to be your feelings that are going to sustain your commitment. Boy, this is so the world, isn't it? But you know, this can creep into Christians too. Sometimes we think we've fallen out of love. The feelings of love aren't there anymore, so they're, oh, so of course, I guess because the feelings aren't there, we're justified in breaking the commitment. And God is saying, no, 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 no. It's your covenant that sustains the love. The feelings of love will grow again in the soil of covenant commitment. That's what, that's what God's promised to you. But that, that should be your promise to each other, too. So I'm going to hush and just give you a few moments to just pray together. And the first thing I would encourage is, Lord, thank you for reminding me of how much you love me. And, and help me to grow in the knowledge of your love. Help me to be more secure. So that in that security, I can lay my life down for my spouse the way Jesus laid his life down for me. And then, Ricky, then you guys would just close. Can we do that? And again, you know, there's a bunch, there's a thousand people here. I mean, you go, oh, yeah, just like Billy, doing all this stuff. This is not a romantic there's all kinds of people here and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, but I would say, how about, how about just take a few sentences and start? And then before you turn off the light tonight at home, maybe pray a little bit more about this together, okay? And then we'll get back together tomorrow morning. So can, can we go ahead and close in prayer? And then, Ricky, as the Lord leads you to, to close us. Guys, I love you. Thank you so much. good guys all right well let's do this guys uh let's just take a minute and um i would love to respond the way that billy has encouraged us to respond and uh you know it just doesn't mean you got to like renew your vows and try to remember everything and what did i value you know especially if you wrote your own vows you're like what did i what did i say i bet your spouse remembers it but uh doesn't mean you have to go through all that, but just even just taking a moment and, and whatever this is, looks like for you, being quiet before the Lord for a minute or even praying together and saying, Lord, um, thank you for this relationship. You know, just thanking God for your marriage is one thing you could do to respond in this moment. Or another could be uh, if you're aware of something that is between you and your spouse, ask for the Lord's help. I think sometimes we feel an ungodly Un, you know, a, a, an ungodly pressure to resolve the conflict before we go to the Lord in prayer um, rather than going to the Lord in the middle of something difficult. And so even if you're in the middle of it, just kind of go to the Lord and say, Lord, we're not exactly sure how to resolve this, but in light of your commitment to us, we want to grow our commitment to one another. Would you help us? So um, John's going to play just for a minute because uh, Billy ordered some soft music. And uh, so John ran down. And uh, just get, we'll take uh, just a minute, just a few minutes here, and uh, I'll close with some prayer in just a second.